Around Comics, Episode 76. This is Around Comics, a roundtable discussing topics in and around the world of comics. I'm your host, Christopher Neesman, and I'm joined, as always, by the co-host of the show, Mr. Brian Salazar. Hello. And Mr. Tom Cater. Boo! It's not not Halloween. Halloween. What are you doing? (laughs) We recorded this October 15th. No, I'm sorry. Head in the can for... It's in the can for months. Mark yeah. Guggenheim. It's just aging like a fine cheese. Yeah. Now it's stinky. Yeah. It's See all of our fine prognosticating. <laughs> I, think, I think the Bears are going to do well this year. But fall just short. Just short. So. Rex Grossman. <laughs> all right, all right. It's enough of that player. I can't it's even... tough to be a white quarterback. <laughs> okay, Rush. <laughs> yeah. As you uh, as you just heard uh, uh, Tom say uh, a second ago, uh, Mark Guggenheim is who we're talking uh, to today. So we'll get to that in just a couple minutes. But first of all, I want to let you know that this episode of Around Comics is sponsored by Borders. Your heart pounds, your palms sweat, the tension is nearly unbearable. And then you spot it, the graphic novel you've been searching for everywhere, right here in your local Borders. Borders is your source for the best original graphic novels, manga, deluxe hardcovers, and trade paperback collections. Not only will you find exactly what you are looking for, you'll discover unexpected new authors and series. While you're at Borders, don't forget to check out their huge selection of music, movies, and magazines. Borders isn't just a bookstore, it has everything you need for your comics culture lifestyle. Now you can save on your favorite graphic novels, manga, and more. Google Borders for a valuable coupon, and always remember to check Borders first. To find a store near you, go to www.borderstores.com. Or ask anyone on the street. Or go to AroundComics.com. That's, 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 that's your new promotion, is everyone on the street knows where, the, where the nearest Borders <laughs> yep. is. If, you just have to ask a, Everyone who's anyone. Any, any, anybody who's anybody. <laughs> or I think Mark or, Guggenheim can find you a Borders. I'm sure he does where they are. Or as Sal <laughs> said, you, him can, you can check our site. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Gravy. All right, folks. This is uh, uh, we are getting extremely close to New York. Extremely what? Extremely By the time you hear this, we're in New York, probably. No, we We'll be on our way to. New we'll York. be on our way. Yeah, are you guys scared of flying? Either one of you? No. No. Okay, cool. I, although I, I have not been uh, on a, I can't stand people that are scared of flying. I have no fear of flying. It's uh, landing. landing. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, but I have not been on a plane since pre-9-11. I have not been on a plane. It's uh, totally different now. I, that's what it's I've heard. almost always taken over by but, terrorists. But not because <laughs> almost of... Almost always. But not because of fear. I just haven't gone... I haven't gone uh, anywhere. So. I'm really glad neither one of you are scared of flying. No. Because nothing annoys me more than someone who has an irrational fear of flight. <laughs> I, I don't. Sorry, fans. But that's, anyone, I mean, I uncontrollable. You can't, like... All right. Well, what, why, why are we going to New York? <laughs> We're going to New York for the <laughs> New York Comic Con, hosted at the Jacob Javits Center, February 23rd through the 25th. Absolutely. Sixth. And what are we, we going to be doing while we're there? We're going to have signings with people like... <laughs> Uggathons. Uggathons. <laughs> oh, good gravy. We, right. we are partnering with the Hero Initiative. And if you're not aware of who the Hero Initiative is, you certainly should. 
they create a financial safety net for yesterday's creators who may need emergency medical aid, financial support for essentials of life, and an avenue back into paying work. It's a chance for all of us to give something back to the people who have given us so much enjoyment. For more information on the Hero Initiative, please visit www.heroinitiative.org or call 310-909-7809. And can I say, if you're not going to make it out to to the uh, New York Comic Con, which we'll be at, and we're, we're going to have a bunch of stuff going on uh, to benefit Heroes, and you want to give anyway, you can always go to the Heroes website and mm-hmm. donate there. They have PayPal mm-hmm. donation links that you can give a few bucks. It doesn't matter if it's you know a dollar, ten dollars, or a hundred dollars, whatever you can give. It really goes to a good cause. If every one of our listeners gave one dollar over the next weekend, that would be seven dollars. Maybe eight. Oh, but whatever it would be, it would make a huge yeah, difference in 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 the life of a veteran creator. What's the uh, conversion rate from Australian money to U.S. money? Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, folks, we're going to be taking donations all weekend long. You've heard about this for uh, if a you give a donation, now. I will buy you a shot if you're over twenty one. <laughs> There you go. You heard it here. Wow, folks. Tom. You yeah. know, a lot of people are going to be... Eh, I don't care. All right. At our table, uh, we have a lot of people helping us out. Uh, if you drop by, we'll be at uh, table A152 in the Podcasters Arena. Uh, we're going to have <laughs> such people as uh, <laughs> Athena Voltaire, uh, artist and co-creator Steve Bryant, uh, the colorist of Athena Voltaire, Mr. Jason Millay. Who I went to high school with. Mm-hmm. Yes, you did. And I went to high school with his girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. In southern Illinois. How it strange is, is that? Very, very weird. Um, <laughs> the author of The Other Side and Welcome Scout, to the Facebook Jason podcast. Aaron. Uh, the artist of The Other Side, Cameron Stewart. <laughs> the artist of The All New Adam and our good buddy, Mr. Mike Norton. Uh, Sean McKeever just signed up. So Sean will be at our table. Uh, legendary creator, Gene Colwin. And by special arrangement from Vanguard Productions. Carmine Infantino. Hey, Chris, I heard recently that there's been a new... Did we uh, miss somebody? new guest that has agreed. That we missed somebody on the list. And I, somebody you might be interested in. I don't know no. if you've ever read any of his work. A gentleman by the name of Greg Rucka... Get out of town. ...is going to kick off the Comic-Con with us on Friday evening from 4 to 4.45. The 4, Greg 45. Rucka robot has carved a chair out of <laughs> platinum. <laughs> For Mr. Rucker to sit on. Greg's Have you seen Sandbaggers? <laughs> Greg has. <laughs> Greg is kind enough to uh, to stop by our table at uh, at the Comic Con on Friday. Four o'clock on Friday. Yeah. Four o'clock on Friday. Come by, see us, see Greg, get uh, something signed, and and say hello, and donate to Hero, and and that's going to start off the con for us. It's going to be good, good stuff. Uh, in addition to all those signings, we're also going to be uh, selling original artwork, sketches, signed memorabilia uh, from such people as Steve Rude, Chris Somney, who is just gone just out of control he can't stuff. stop him he's like he a had, is he obsessive compulsive I think he's got some is OCD right? issues because he's, if you live near Chris Somney go check on him <laughs> Chris is awesome <laughs> just, just don't uh, just don't give him a really sharp pizza cutter um, he can do some damage with that uh, R- Ryan, Ryan Stegman has uh, has offered to uh, to send some stuff as have uh, Mike Norton Tim Seeley Scotty Young Steve Bryant Greg Titus Pat Loika Scott Johnson uh, Dark Tower Comics is sending us with all sorts of stuff all sorts of good stuff and thank you to everybody that's donated and we want to we want to hopefully get rid of everything and give all yeah. that money to Hero. And yeah. you can expect the bill for shipping shortly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just to give you a little preview, uh, I don't 
totally expect an episode to be out on Monday. It's going to be probably later in the day, if at all, but maybe Tuesday. Our, we start our convention wrap-ups. Uh, yeah, it probably be it, it may be Monday evening, but uh, we'll see how because we're, we're coming back late on Sunday. Yeah. Go start from the beginning. <laughs> yes. You'll Sorry. catch up just in time. Yeah, you'll catch the... up in time. All right, right guys. Uh, Around Comics is recorded every Friday at 7 o'clock at Dark Tower Comics and Collectibles, located at 4835 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago. If you're in the area, please drop by. While you're here, ask Dark Tower about their Polis membership. It's good. It is fantastic. Uh, Dark Tower carries a wonderful selection of mainstream comics, independent comics, uh, trade paperbacks, and statues, as well as action figures. Come to Dark Tower for all of your comics and collectibles needs. It's a lifestyle choice. Absolutely. And remember that your Around Comics experience isn't complete until you've checked out this week's Long Box of Love. Each Thursday episode of Around Comics has a wonderfully handcrafted webcomic from Brian Bowles. Check it out every Thursday at www.aroundcomics.com. One more thing I wanted to mention uh, is we're not the only podcasters that are going to be at the New York Comic Con. Lots. Uh, lots of them, the, a bunch of people from the, the Comics Podcast Network. Yeah. And they're going to have some special guests, too. I know Jim Starlin is going to be signing at the uh, Comic News Insider. Comic News Insider. And uh, I know Mike Norton will be at CGS, and, and I'm sh- I think they have some other uh, yeah. guests they haven't announced yet, but there's going to be lots of stuff to do. And actually, uh, and uh, the- uh, Comet News Insider is also doing uh, some benefit work. Yeah, they're doing a benefit for uh, for a literacy uh, charity, mm-hmm. and uh, they're doing raffles. So it's like a dollar f- to buy a ticket, and uh, and they have a bunch of stuff to raffle off. I think they're going to be raffling yeah. stuff off uh, Friday and Saturday. I don't know about Sunday, but... Uh, so, yeah, there's going to be like a dozen of us podcasters in there, and, and come check us all out. Yeah, come see uh, Comic, News, Comic News Insider, Comic Geek Speak, uh, Meanwhile, the comic book podcast, Andy Spinnerack, Variant Edition, Comics Cast, Raging Bullets, Comic Timing, Pop Cult Online, Bullpen Bulletins. Our boys from us. the Bullpen Bulletins. Yeah, We're sitting right next to them. Yes. Yep, we are. I'm I, I right don't, on top of I David. don't look forward to being between Vince B. and the bathroom. <laughs> Uh, no, we're we're not. We're Tom. We're on the right side. It's oh, the yes. women. We're near the yep. women's. Hello, ladies. <laughs> oh, geez. oh, good lord! They're right by the women's bathroom but in the everyone elevator. Everyone knows so you hang what? out by the women's bathroom. What are Tom and Carmine Infantino doing by the women's bathroom? What is going on over there? So we're going to have a huge list Mirror of thank yous man. and all that coming back from New York. So we're really looking forward to it. All right, guys. Uh, today's episode, uh, one that uh, we have all been looking forward to, especially Tom. We're talking talking with Mr. Mark Torking. Guggenheim. Talking. Uh, <laughs> Mark Guggenheim is a veteran writer from the world of TV. His credits include stints on The Practice, Law & Order, CSI Miami, and Brothers and Sisters. That's currently. Uh, comic book fans know him as the writer who took Wolverine on his vendetta during Civil War and is currently spinning tales with Howard Chaikin in Blade, as well as the socially relevant action miniseries Hyperion vs. Nighthawk. To the excitement of Tom Caters and others, Mark will be taking over the writing duties of DC's The Flash. Around Comics is happy to welcome Mark Guggenheim. Mark, uh, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and for uh, talking with us tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you guys. It's always nice when people are interested in anything I have to say. <laughs> well, I, I think more importantly, people have become very interested in things that you have to write, uh, especially. Nice segue. And, and that you like that, you like that? Uh, especially in the in the world of comics. Uh, 
I'm going to kind of go back to the the first time that I was aware of your work, and that was on uh, Wolverine. And we had... um, We'd seen two two Wolverine series that were slated uh, to come out about the same time, and one was uh, the Dan Way and um, uh, Steve Dillon Wolverine Origins, and then this guy named Mark Guggenheim was going to be working with uh, Humberto Ramos. And I, I'm a big Dan Way fan and Steve Dillon also, but I have to tell you, your run on Wolverine really was uh, woke me up to uh, to what you're able to do as a writer. So it's uh, a, a great series. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. You know, that was. I, I'm still like I still look back on that and and scratch my head and go, what the hell was Marvel thinking when they they put me on the book because. I mean, it really was, like, who's more Guggenheim? You know, what's he done? Um, why is he writing Wolverine? Like, shouldn't he be starting off on, you know, some, you know, third-tier character, like Slapstick or something? Um, <laughs> but uh, I, owe, I owe Axel Alonzo, Alonzo a huge uh, debt of gratitude for um, taking an incredible flyer on me. Um, you know, I, I wish I could say I, like, blackmailed him or something, but he just, you know, I don't know, saw something and... Uh, you know, let me, you know, let me at one of the big toys. As part of the Civil War storyline, you did a really good job of giving that sort of a portion of the story its own very unique feel to it and had its own importance to it. And I guess I was wondering, what was your experience working on, like, a huge crossover as being your first thing that you really did for a big company like that? You know, it was interesting um, because... The first thing is when Axel, you know, offered me the gig, he's like, "Listen, you know, this is this is a, you know, it's a big crossover, so it's, it's high profile, and that's wonderful. But at the same time, it has all these headaches involved, just the nature of a company wide crossover." Um, and as a long time reader, I, I sort of instinctively understood what he was talking about. Um, but I like my my first sort of desire was to address a problem I always have as a reader, which is. You know, you you read these tie-ins, and the only thing they have to do with the crossover is the trade dress. Um, so, I, my my first you know goal was come up with a story that actually would matter, but at the same time they would let me do. And I just you know I, I pitched what in the story, and much to my surprise, Marvel didn't say, "Oh, we're already doing that in Spider-Man, or we're already doing that in Fantastic Four." They said, "Yeah, go ahead, go go do that." Was there any? Uh sort of trepidation on your part coming into Marvel and, and your first, uh, you know, ongoing series being a character like Wolverine that's obviously hugely popular, you know, and, and has been around for so long. Did you have any, you know, fear at all jumping in with that character? Um, yes, but because every project I have, I approach with a huge amount of trepidation. Um, <laughs> every time I face the blank page on any project in any medium, I'm waiting to be found out as a fraud. Um, so I just, you know, trepidation has become such a normal part of my work process that I don't even really think about it. But I, honestly, the, you know, all kidding aside, the most amount of trepidation I felt truly was I didn't want to let Axel down because, like I said, he really took a flyer on really way out on a limb and more than anything, I just didn't want to betray the trust he was putting in me. Writing for comics is so different because your name 
is on a comic and is very much a part of what that comic is. Can you tell us a little bit what the difference is from a fan perspective of writing for TV as opposed to writing for comics? Yeah, um, well, with TV, you really are, you're, you're pretty much separated from your fan base. Um, I mean, the closest I got to my, you know, not my fans, I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, when you're when you're a TV writer, you really don't have your own fans. Unless you're David Kelly or Aaron Sorkin or someone who is really, is an iconic writer, um, you don't have fans. Your show has fans, um, if you're lucky. And... You know, the extent you have contact with those fans, it's very, very limited. I mean, when I was working on Law & Order, I would participate on the youth group, uh, you know, the youth uh, news groups, the message board. Um, but that was pretty much it, and that was pretty isolated. Um, in contrast with comic books, much bigger name recognition, you know, you're sort of one of, hopefully you're one of the draws of the book, and... Part of the job description to me in, in this day and age is to be involved with the fan base and be in touch with the fan base and you know, participate on the message boards and interviews and, and just do a lot more press than you ever get a chance to as a TV writer. With you, you know, coming into comics, and obviously, you know, you were an experienced writer and, and a successful one beforehand, but I think a lot of people, we had seen... Uh, writers from different mediums come into comics and some were successful, some weren't. Uh, I think a lot of people were sort of surprised that you, you know, jumped right in and your, your work was, you know, extremely good from the, from the get-go, which I, I, I don't want to say surprised people, but in some regards I think it may have. But this isn't like you came into comics without knowing anything about it. Uh, I understand you actually interned at Marvel in the 90s? Yeah, yeah, I interned at Marvel uh, between my sophomore and junior years of college uh, in the summertime as part of their summer internship program. Um, and, I, you know, it's funny, I always told people before I started working for television that was um, my favorite job that I've ever had. Um, and it's since, you know, it, it still looms very large and fondly in my memory, but um, now I've been even luckier to have worked in television and in comics as a writer. Um, and it's, it, yeah, but I still look back on those internship days and, you know, really, really fondly and nostalgically. Uh, you know, when you're talking about writing for television, uh, you've also worked on Blade, which is, a, you know, recently had a unsuccessful attempt to move into the realm of television and sort of a, approaching a character like that that's been in a lot of different hands and it's been on TV and it's been in movies. Uh, do you speak a little bit to, like, the experience of writing a character that has crossed all those media boundaries the, the blade series is really a you know that's a labor of love um i mean they're, they're all labors of love because i just love comic books but with blade you know you're not doing the huge sales you know and the name recognition that wolverine brings you you're really doing it because you love the character and you love stories with him um but i guess to more fully address your point blade blade's really weird uh he, he's almost He's almost unique insofar as he's had a lot more success outside of comics than he has within comics. Um, so he's, you know, he, he's sort of, I'm trying to think of any other comic book character that can, you can say that about, and I'm really not coming up with anybody. Howard the Duck. Yeah. <laughs> no, that no, movie was sorry. horrible. <laughs> 
I don't know if Howard really counts. <laughs> uh, well, do you consider yourself a TV writer that writes comic books, or a comic book writer who writes for TV, or just a writer? I consider myself just a writer. Um, I really believe that if you're a writer, you write, and you don't necessarily have to pigeonhole yourself in, in a different me in one medium. I mean, that's not to say that some writers don't have trouble uh, adapting from one medium to another, um, but I kind of, the way I approach things is I'm a writer, and writers write, and you know, writers write whatever they can get hired to write. Um, and I've been lucky insofar as I've been hired in, in four different mediums. Uh, but I don't, like, you know, limit myself to thinking of myself only as a TV writer or only as a comic writer or only as, you know, picked up. To me, it's, it's all writing. It's not to say that my approach is the same to, to you know, to every medium. It's not. Each medium has its own strengths and weaknesses in terms of what it can accomplish narratively. So... I always, I'm always adapting my writing to what I'm working in, but to me, it's like writers write. Well, speaking about uh, writing to the strengths, uh, could you talk a little bit about the difference between maybe how you approach a, a TV script and writing to the strengths of the actors or the director that's going to be involved in that project compared to a comic book strip? Uh, or a comic book script and and working with the artists uh, or the characters that are involved on the comic. Are there similarities in how you approach that, or or are there huge differences? They're both, honestly. I mean, the, there are similarities insofar as the process is, in very broad strokes, the same. I'm always thinking about, okay, well, what can be accomplished, you know, what can be accomplished in the comic book versus what can be accomplished in the TV show? You know, when I'm writing a comic book, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, okay, someone's going to have to draw it. So I've got to describe it a certain way. I've got to, you know, if it's an emotional type of scene, if it's not an action scene, um, I, I have to write towards the artist's strengths in terms of what they're able to, to convey on the page. Whereas in television, I'm writing towards or away the actor's strengths and weaknesses. So it's similar in the sense that in both cases, I'm thinking about the capability, the acting capabilities. It's different in that if acting in a comic book comes through a pencil and the acting in a TV show comes up through the actor. Another, I think probably like the biggest difference is, and this was sort of like the biggest piece of my learn, of conquering the learning curve of moving from TV to comics, is see, everything's fluid, um, everything's, you know, hopefully moving, and there's a lot of talk. Television is a it's a dialogue-based medium. Um, it's all about the dialogue. Whereas with comic books, it's a visual medium. It's all about the visuals, and every visual is static. There is no movement. So I had to really train myself to think in terms of, okay, this has to happen in two panels versus one panel. You know, I'm doing this extra math make sure that not requiring too much happening in a single panel. Um, similarly, I'm also trying to make sure that there's not too much talk going on. Um, you know, as a TV writer, you're tempted to just make it 22 pages of people talking to each other. That doesn't make for a very good comic book. It doesn't make for an interesting comic book. 
working with a TV script and working in that process, do you uh, do you ever work with the like storyboarders um, with your script, or is that a completely separate process of 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 that project? You know, it's really interesting. Um, I've been doing television for seven years now, and I just started working with a storyboard artist uh, this year on a pilot. It's actually going into production on Tuesday. Uh, it's a pretty special effects heavy pilot. So uh, we actually brought in a storyboard artist to help us with the uh, special effects sequences. And uh, just by pure coincidence, that storyboard artist is Brian Murray, who... Um, used to draw young all-stars for DC and has done some other comics yeah. as well. So I, by, by sheer happenstance, got a chance, my storyboard experience uh, was with a former comic In regards to, uh, to working with the strengths of, of the different artists um, in comics, How's the uh, the process uh, working with Howard Chankin? I'm, I'm a huge fan of Howard Chankin's, and I was wondering, you know, he has a certain reputation in the industry or with fans. I was just working how how wondering how that process has been and, and how that relationship has been with him. Uh, well, first of all, I'm a huge fan of Howard too. Um, you know, that's why it's actually for me one of the biggest thrills about working in comic books is to get to work with artists like Paul Delaney and Howard Chankin who have been doing it for so long that I remember growing up with their comics. Like, that's, that, that's a, that is something so cool I can't even, you know, just fully describe how cool it is to me. Um, but as far as the process with Howard, honestly, it's been a total dream. Um, he has just been so incredibly professional. In fact, uh, I, I, you know, chide him sometimes uh, for being, he's so damn professional that I feel like I'm writing a, a Blade script every other week um, because he's just turning around things so fast and it always looks gorgeous and the storytelling's always and he, he you know, pulls off every moment in the script exactly the way I saw it in my mind. Um, I mean, it's really, it's been so much fun to work with him. Um, even apart from the, you know, the fanboy, like, thrill of, hey, I'm working with Howard Jenkins, it's also just, like, it's really kicking ass. Working, you know, Paul Gawasi, Humberto Ramos, Howard Chaikin. What what kind of a thrill has it been to have that trio to start with as as really kind of your breaking into comics? I am such a lucky bastard. <laughs> uh, I, re- I mean, I because I I just I don't know what I did right um, because it's been that, that's been my biggest break. And it's like every time I get a phone call from an editor and they pitch me an artist. It's like an all-star, and I'm I'm just absolutely floored. And it makes you, you asked earlier, like, what's it like to like sort of you know you break in and you break in sort of immediately with a good reputation. Um, to me, I'm really benefiting hugely from the artists I'm working with um, because you really are you're only as good as, as your artist as a writer uh, of comic books. I mean. You, you can be you can be Alan Moore, you can be Grant Morrison, but you know if you don't have like a Dave Gibbons, you know, drawing your stuff, um, it, it's like no one's going to notice, and even the story is not going to work as well as you thought it would. Well, jumping around a little bit, I wanted to ask you uh, more about your your early history as far as uh, your writing career and how that got started. I, I understand you were initially uh, going to be a lawyer. Uh, how did you go from that to becoming a, a TV writer and, and now a comic book writer? Um, well, uh, a lot of luck. 
first of all. Um, but basically, here, here's sort of the story. Um, I was in my third year of law school, and my brother, uh, Eric, who's a screenwriter, was in his uh, final year of film school. And really, as a lark more than anything else, uh, we decided to write a script together. And my first time really, you know, writing any sort of script, and my first forays into creative writing. And we wrote a couple of TV uh, sample scripts, and then we wrote a movie together. And it was I got bit by the writing bug, and it was like, wow, this is a lot of fun. And I ended up, uh, after graduating from law school, I ended up practicing law. And I was dividing my time between practicing law and using every spare hour to write, because uh, I was really enjoying it. And I was, you know, doing it that way for, you know, about, you know, four or five years. Uh, I was in my fifth year of practice when I was starting to feel like uh, I was getting tired of the law. I was also getting tired of trying to bring the candle then. I was waking up at like five o'clock morning to write because I found I could write more productively in the day, in the, in the morning, but at the end of the day, after, you know, putting in a 16-hour day of practicing law. I was taking all my vacation time and flying out to L.A. to take meetings, and in the meantime, my practice was, you know, making me really, really busy. Um, so I was like, you know what? If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna do this, I gotta like do it all the way. I gotta move out to Los Angeles at the time I was in Boston, um, and I gotta do it before I'm committed to the partnership track, um, and I gotta do it before I'm married with three kids and a mortgage and become hard to move. So I quit my job. Uh, I moved out to L.A., and I knew I wanted to work in television, so I scheduled my move to coincide with staffing season. Staffing season is the period of the year where TV shows uh, start hiring their writing, their writing staffs for the upcoming season. And uh, at the time, I already had a manager, um, and I wrote a sample West Wing script, and my manager read it, and she liked it. She said that uh, she could get me a job with this script, but an agent could get me a better quality job. So she sent it around to a few agencies, and uh, the first agent who read it had just placed a couple people on the practice. Um, and this is actually where luck comes in. Uh, David Kelly, who created and was running the practice, was looking to take a step back. He wanted uh, um, on Boston Public, which was going to launch that year, and he wanted to hire um, brand-new writers, first-year writers, who were also lawyers. And I had the good fortune to be a brand new writer who was also a lawyer and a lawyer in Boston, which was where the show was then. So it was like a dream opportunity and it couldn't have come along at a better time. Um, so it was totally right place, right time. And then once, uh, you know, once I was doing that, I just kept working. Hey, you know, speaking of uh, David Kelly shows, I, I, I've enjoyed just about everything that he's done, uh, especially, you know, Boston Public, Boston Legal, and. and <laughs> He's uh, a huge Ally McBeal fan. No, well, <laughs> but I was wondering if you could give us any insight as to why it seemed David Kelly's shows kept getting, like, the runaround by networks. It would be a successful show, and then they would move it to a, you know, a different time slot, and it would, it would be less successful. Any, uh, any insight on that? Which, uh, which David Kelly show do you feel got moved around? Well, I thought uh, I thought uh, the practice did. I thought Boston Public did. Uh, right when at that show, I thought seemed to really start to get its start feet. start to get its feet. Then they moved it around, um, and then Boston Boston Legal. I thought they did in the beginning, but you know that you know that didn't seem to hurt the momentum on that show as much. 
Well, uh, you know, it's funny. Those are three different uh, shows and actually two different networks in the case of the practice of Boston Legal versus Boston Public. Um, and there's three different explanations. Um, without, I mean, I could go into all three, but I'm afraid that would be boring. Let me just quickly give you the practice because uh, I know the best. Um, the practice was ordered uh, as a mid-season show. They ordered 13 episodes, and that's common for a mid-season. Um, basically, ABC didn't have a for schedule. The network orders a mid-season show. Um, they're basically ordering insurance that their fall shows, um, in case their fall shows don't do well, they have a mid-season show to put in its place. Well, the year the practice premiered, um, ABC had the good fortune of having a fairly good development season, so their shows were all doing pretty well. So what happened was, the, rather than bump uh, an entire season of the practice for the next year, um, they put uh, NYPD Blue off the air for six and ran six episodes of the practice in its place. Um, so, the so the first time slot the practice was always a temporary, you know, they were just renting the space, they weren't owning it. Uh, then in, in its second year, they were on Saturdays. Um, they didn't get moved around in its second year. Uh, I don't think they moved to, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right. They moved, they were on Monday nights for a portion of their second year, and then on Saturday nights for a portion of uh, the second half of the second year. So, they got moved around a little bit there, um, but that was happening because the practice wasn't doing that well ratings-wise, um, so they were trying it out in different time slots. Um, and then when it landed on Sunday night, uh, it started pulling in really nice numbers, particularly uh, when it was airing after uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and it stayed there, I, I want to say pretty much for the entirety of its run. Um, is that completely boring? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting. I mean, I you know, from a from purely a, a fan perspective of it, it you, you just sort of wonder sometimes. You get hooked into a show, and then all of a sudden it gets moved, and you're, you're you know, you either don't realize it or you've lost. You know, you're behind a few episodes before. Right, you and it's got to be it's got to be frustrating as as a creator or or even you know a cast member of a show to you know achieve a certain level of success and then you know have a show moved around multiple times. It's really terrifying. Um, you know, it's, it's a big, it's a big thing. You know, uh, like this year, I think the big success story that the media hasn't covered nearly enough is Grey's Anatomy. They they took a hit show, and it, you know, it, it, its youth, um, almost its infancy, moved it uh, to a very time slot. You know, Thursday, uh, and at nine and done incredibly well. Um, that was a huge risk because they were doing great on, you know, Sunday nights at 10. Hello, this is Steve Niles, and you are listening to Around Comics. The big news, uh, especially for Tom here, is that uh, you're taking on a book over at DC, and that, of course, is The Flash. Uh, I, I've, I've read that you are a longtime fan of that character. What is it like taking on an iconic character like The Flash? Well, that, you know, there you, you really do sort of get into the whole terrifying thing we were talking about earlier. Um, but even more so, it's funny. In a way, I feel more pressure with The Flash than I did with Wolverine. Um, 
I'm not entirely sure why that is. Um, I, I think I think in large part because the fan base for Flash is far more passionate and vocal than the fan base for Wolverine. Um, I mean, you really, it's the, it's the first character I've taken on where I really feel like, wow, people are, um, people are, are really watching this incredibly closely. You know, with Wolverine, he's, he, you know, there are so many Wolverine books and there have been so many Wolverine books and in a way I almost feel like I can't ruin him. Like, you can't ruin ruin Wolverine because the worst that happens is that I have a bad arc and, and people move on. But now I'm like taking on a book. It's an open-ended commitment. Um, there's no Flash origin series. Like I don't have Daniel Way backstopping me. Um, you know, like it's not, if I screw up the Flash, people can't pick up, you know, Brian Vaughn's Flash series <laughs> the same month. Their Flash picks that way. I'm, I'm the guy. Um, so there's, Oh, there's a lot of pressure there. Well, I, I also think it's uh, interesting because uh, the history of The Flash is sort of defined by the fact that people who have written it have written it for a really long time. There aren't too many people who have had their five-issue shots at The Flash. You know, you have people like Carrie Bates and William Mess- Messner Loves and Wade and Johns and all of them. Is that in any way intimidating to go into a book knowing that so many people have sort of had their big stamp on what the book is? You know, it's funny. I, I'm really old school in the sense that a, I like writers who make long runs on a book. I, as a reader, I'm not a big fan of the five issues, get in, get out. So I decided when I broke in that it was within my control. They said I could, make an open-ended commitment, I would, and I would stay on the book as long as I possibly could. Um, that's actually the commitment I made to Blade, and it's also the commitment I made to The Flash. And you're right, you know, uh, the truth is, it's not, you know, when I think of Mike Barron or William Lester Lopes or Jeff Johns or Mark Wade, I don't think, I, I don't get intimidated from the length of their runs. I get intimidated from the quality of their runs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but holy, they're so good that... Uh, I, I worry about, you know, I worry about matching you know, five issues of Mark Wade, um, much less, you know, his entire run. Well, on the other spectrum, on the other end of that spectrum, you're, you're picking up uh, after a short run by uh, uh, Bilson and DeMeo that was uh, not looked at favorably by a lot of the fans. It, is there any, you know, concern in that regards? Is coming into a series after, you know, after a start by another team that that wasn't uh, well received? You know, it's funny. I kind of feel like, you know, and I, I say this really to be humorous, not to, to characterize fandom this way, but it's like being the second cop through the door. Um, you know, you you feel bad for that guy, or like you know, the first guy off the beach at the on the beach in Normandy. Um, the, the thing is, is that, you know, every time you have a character change within an iconic character, you know, Wally taking over for Barry, Mark taking over for Wally, Kyle Rayner taking over for Hal, uh, Jordan, when we're talking about Green Lantern, there's resistance. And Milton DeMeo had the unfortunate, uh, you know, task of, being the first guys in the door when it came to establishing Wally. Um, you know, do I feel trepidation? 
you know, my attitude is, you know, I remember when Bart, you know, when Wally took over uh, for, for Barry, and I remember, you know, there wasn't an internet back then, but I remember just reading magazines, and even through the magazines, you could feel the resistance uh, to it, and now, you know, Wally's, you know, considered every bit the flash that Barry was. Um, and I, my goal is to make people feel the same way about Bart. One of the things that interests me most about picking up the Flash where you are is that it is true that people were very resistant to Wally taking over the Flash, but people wrote it in such a way that the character became its own distinct entity away from Barry, and he became his own character, and he became the Flash. Uh, what sort of approach have you taken to taking Bart's character and making him his own person? Is it going back to the impulse roots, or is it taking a new angle on what the character is like? Um, well, you know, I guess sort of, it's funny. I I always start from, I just want to tell a really good story. Um, and I want to tell good stories with that character as as, as close to the essence of that character as I can. So with, with the thing that I've really tried to focus on, and just based upon the phone conversations I've had with a few people this week, I, I apparently have done an okay job with is getting getting Bart, you know, to act in that sort of witty way that we sort of associate with impulse, without taking him back a, a, a few steps maturity-wise. Um, I feel like Jeff Johns in his Teen Titans run did a really nice job of giving you know giving Bart a certain maturity, a certain swing up, and. I wanted my one of my main goals with the character with my first few issues is establish him just as mature and just as experienced because I didn't want to undo the stuff that Jeff did, but at the same time give him that twinkle in his eye and smile behind every line of dialogue so that we still felt like, Oh yeah, that's Oh, I want to go back to uh, something you had said a few moments ago, and that was that as kind of a, a, an old school comic fan who um, really enjoys the, uh, I guess we call them one and done stories now, um, I'm really enjoying your run on Blade, and one of the one of the real reasons that I enjoy that <laughs> is that each each book is self-contained in its story, but you're still leaving a lot of uh, a lot of nuggets there that are are being carried over, you know, across issues. And it, it, it's something I think in today's comics that a lot of people are afraid to jump into a series, but that that one in particular, along with like you know Jonah Hex or like Detective Comics, it's nice that you can just jump in at any given issue, and uh, you know I I really enjoy that. Uh, you know, you know. I had originally pitched the idea of doing things as self-contained stories, but but you know, an over, giving an overarching mythology. Um, and I did it partially because I thought I want to do everything I possibly can to make late accessible to people. Because you know, just from looking at its track record in comic books, he's a hard sell. So I wanted to make it as painless as possible for people to pick up, you know, issues two and on. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to sort of satisfy that nostalgic heat on my part, and I think that need is shared by other readers as well, you know, for those done-in-one self-contained stories where you can just pick up a book and say, okay, I got a story with a beginning, middle, and end there. 
Well, I, th- I think it's interesting because uh, from the solicits I've seen for the Flash issues, it seems that your first couple issues also sort of take that approach that it's sort of one and done setting things up. Was that a, a conscious choice to go into the Flash and sort of set up what you're going to do? Or was it just how the how things you know worked out? No, it, it was extremely conscious because I you know I really want to get pe- bring people into the book, um, and I think that starting off any run or any series with with issues that are accessible, um, that if someone didn't read issue one, they're not completely lost. Um, you know, it's funny. I think I, I kind of learned that from television because in television, if you uh, you know you do a pilot and then if you get picked up the series, you know you do the second episode. And in a perfect world, that second episode I've learned is it operates as like a second pilot because the hope is, you know, if you didn't if you didn't get viewers in on the first episode, they hear a good positive word of mouth, and you can pull them in on the second episode. So that second episode has to be as new user-friendly, if you will, as the very first. Um, so I, I guess I'm, you could say I'm sort of taking a lesson I've learned in television I'm trying to apply it to comics. Well, as someone who's obviously, you know, in, has a foot in both the comic world and, and Hollywood and television, uh, what's your perspective on how Hollywood looks at the comic industry now as opposed to maybe 10, 15 years ago? I think Hollywood now... Because of the success of, of Spider-Man, I guess predominantly, Hollywood seems to be viewing comic books as almost uh, a research and development uh, lab, or a development, you know, or development process where they're using comic books as a place to get source material for movies and television shows. I mean, gosh, it, I think right now the big perk of doing anything creator-owned is you stand a really good chance of at the very least getting your creator own series options. Uh, options are getting, you know, getting made up all around uh, Hollywood now based on fun comic book properties. Sometimes even before the comic book property is published. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, I, I think it's a big sea change from 15, 20 years ago. I mean, I mean, 20 years ago, you're talking about, you know, around the time the Batman movie came out, the first Batman movie, and there, I just remember, you know, just being relieved that the Tim Burton Batman wasn't going to be just a, a redux of the Adam West Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Cesar Romero with the makeup over his mustache. <laughs> but uh, the part is, is taking, you know, how, is Hollywood taking comic books seriously over 20 years? It's interesting that you say that because I think a lot of fans sort of feel the same way. It's like we we've. We've had this appreciation for comics for so long, and we always have this fear that whenever a movie is going to be made or a TV show based on a comic, that it's going to be really horrible. And then it just, you know, everyone will look at that as that's what comic books are. While yeah, that, that fear is remarkably well earned. Well, I, I think it's interesting because you bring up the fact that a, a lot of it's banked off of Spider Man. For a really long time, I've always thought that. Spider-Man as a movie worked because Spider-Man as a character 
is something that people were aware of, and not necessarily that the pure idea of a movie about Spider-Man is something that every person would want to go see. Yeah. I And it's always sort of conflicted me about the whole comic books as movies, is how much of it is the fact that some of these characters, like Superman and Spider-Man, are just characters that people know, and that's why they go see it, as opposed to the fact that if someone... There was never a Spider-Man comic book, and a Spider-Man movie came out, would... Two hundred fifty million dollars worth of people go well, see look Spider-Man. At, yeah. Look at Heroes, though. You got fifteen million people a week watching that show, yeah. and it's not based on anything. But would they pay eight dollars to watch? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Why don't we ask Mark? <laughs> Mark, what are your thoughts on that? A lot of my friends work on Heroes. Um, um, what are my thoughts on on uh, why like Spider-Man the movie is more popular than Spider-Man the comic? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, I guess. You know, I think the answer is is movies in general are a more popular medium. Features are huge. Um, you know, they, they draw a big, big, big audience, uh, bigger than movie, you know, bigger than regular books. Um, you know, why have more people? I mean, look at the Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code is remarkably popular. That's a phenomenon novel. But I'm willing to bet that more people saw the movie, which wasn't even reviewed that well. Uh, than read the novel. So I don't think it's a phenomenon that is even limited to comic books. I think it just says more about the power of the movie than it does about the weakness of comic books. But I also think there's a weird thing in it, too, of the Da Vinci Code. It's not like people are adapting novels just because the Da Vinci Code was successful. You know, as opposed to Spider-Man has this sort of unique sense to it of how... All these sort of movies that have come after Spider-Man, I think, are based pretty heavily on the success that Spider-Man had. And I guess I don't really have a question, and I just said that out loud. <laughs> having a thought, you know, there's there's a weird thing in there that's not there's a little difference between those that I think is really interesting. I can't quite separate all of it out. I, I think that, I think you're definitely right. Um, I would, you know, not to be comparing or anything, just as you know, for the sake of the discussion, um, I'd point out that. There's another component, there's another explanation that I think exists side by side with the success of Spider-Man for why we're seeing so many comic books turn into movies, and that's because the technology has made them possible. Yeah, um, that's true. You know, I mean, Spider-Man, like, you could do it, you could have done Spider-Man 20 years ago, it probably would have looked really, really lame. <laughs> like a guy shooting a rope out of his wrist. <laughs> I think they did make that. Well, well, Mark, you know, uh, one of the things we always talk about on our show is is trying to explain to people that comics are a medium and not a genre. What is the um, what is the attitude in Hollywood about comics? Do you know, as we talk about more and more options being given and that kind of stuff, is there a perception there that? comics are just a good breeding ground for good stories, regardless of superhero and, or not? And yes, we do expect you to answer for all of Hollywood. Yes, for all of Hollywood. You are you are their mouthpiece. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of people. Um, you know, honestly, I think that uh, they do view it as a breeding ground for stories of all kinds. Um, you know, the, the process of, of working up a idea for a TV show or a movie is called the development process, and I think they now view comic books as part of the development process. It's a tool to, um, to, to find just new stories to tell, not just comic books. I mean, when I say that a lot of uh, comics, greater on stuff is being optioned these days, 
I'm thinking of a lot of comics that are not superhero comics at all. Um, or to the extent they are superhero comics, they're not straight superhero comics. They're not like, you know, straight ahead, um, you know, Superman or Spider-Man or Batman. Um, there's a real, uh, you know, comic books do a lot of different genres as well. I think they do superhero, you know, superheroes perhaps the best, but they do crime, they do science, you know, hard science fiction, um, they do horror. There's all sorts of uh, genres that comic books really do well. And, like, look at Sin City. Um, yeah, I think that's a really great example of a non superhero comic that made for a great non superhero comic and a great non superhero movie. Uh- Going back to, you were talking about how you moved to L.A., and, and that's really when your writing career took off. How important was that uh, decision in your career to, to move out to L.A.? Uh, huge, um, because basically, I wouldn't say that you can't break into Hollywood from outside of Hollywood, but it's extraordinarily hard, and it's already hard to break into Hollywood. Sure. You know, the advice I give to people is, you know, Breaking into Hollywood is hard. Why make it all that much harder by not being in Hollywood? So it was pretty critical to me. Also, you know, um, I just, you know, I, it, it, I got my job on the after moving out to LA, and people always say to me, "Oh my God, you know, that, that's so fast." And I always point out to them that I had been writing for five years before moving out to LA, and I was writing for five years, three thousand miles away. Two months after I moved to L.A., I get a job. I, I think that pretty much says it all about um, how important it is to be in the area. And the law school didn't hurt either. The law school didn't hurt. Actually, just totally coincidentally, it didn't at all help me get the job. But uh, I graduated from the same law school as David Kelly. Oh, there you go. Nice. Alum. Well, well, speaking of, of lawyers and bringing it back to comics, there's uh, uh, a pretty good writer doing uh, doing Daredevil right now, and I, I think that uh, Ed Brubaker is planning on staying with it for a while. But would uh, would writing a, a superhero who is also a lawyer ever appeal to you? I, I've made two things really clear. Um, that were uh, Ed to get hit by a bus and be unable <laughs> Right, Daredevil. I would. Love. I've also made it clear that I know how to drive a bus. <laughs> Watch out, Ed. Oh, He's gunning for you. I'm sort of. Um, this is more about sort of the comics end of it. Is, uh, you're taking over a character like the Flash. You've written something like Blade. You're obviously a fan. How much of when you enter into writing a character with a history, how much of it is balancing that sort of desire I think a lot of fans have especially Flash fans of being they want a balance of new twists on the story but they want to see the old you know how as a writer how well do you know Gorilla no, <laughs> I mean like it, how uh, as approaching writing a comic book do you go in saying I gotta give them a little bit of this but I have to give them a little bit of that is there a balance there is there something you don't even think about you know I, I, it's funny I, I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately you know, both as a writer and as a fan, and you know, I think we're in a we're in an interesting place because we, both Marvel and DC have now been around so long, and they've all like the both companies have had retcons and and crises and secret wars and you name it, and it's just made it re- really hard for 
writers to come on board a book and have an and have the type of encyclopedic knowledge that used to be possible 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. Um, so there's a certain um, there's a certain limitation, natural limitation, what you can reasonably do um, as a writer to know all the ins and outs. At the same time, you have the internet, which is a fantastic resource. But there's a lot of complex history. Like, you know, coming on Blade, you know, I was simply bowled over by the gaps in his history and the inconsistencies in his history and, and how what I was reading on the internet wasn't jiving with what I was reading in the comics. And it, it, it just felt like a mess. And I, I was like, I don't even know where to begin. Um, so I think my bottom line answer to your question is I think it's, it's all it comes down to respect. I think that the, what fans should should look for from their writers is that the writers will approach the characters with respect. And part of that respect is just is doing your homework, doing your due diligence, but at the same time knowing that no amount of due diligence is going to give you that encyclopedic knowledge that maybe some fans are expecting. Um, and also that the continuity uh, card shouldn't drag the good story horse. You know, you got to find that right name. And, and, and like I said, it comes down to respect. Like, if you're just respectful to the character and you're respectful to the history and you're respectful to the fans, I think that that's like a happy compromise between, you know, the, the, the what can be achieved via story and via the complex histories and whatnot. Just be respectful. Hi, this is Greg Rucka, and we're all around comics. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about another book that you're working on, Hyperion versus Nighthawk, the miniseries. And I, I just finished reading the second uh, issue of that, and I've really enjoyed what you've done with that so far. I was wondering, um, you, you sort of set up the story where it's told from both perspectives of the main characters, and each one of those perspectives sort of also reflects uh, a situation that you have as the backdrop, a, a bigger real-world, real-life situation. I was wondering if, if you did that intentionally to try to educate people as well as entertain with the book? Well, you know, I, I really think that, you know, anything can work on a couple different levels. Um, whenever I work on TV or, you know, comic books or whatever, the, the first goal is to entertain. Um, I don't, am I trying to educate? Uh, I guess, um, you know, I tend to, I love to write issue-oriented material. In TV and comics, I love to to sort of put issues on the table and sort of dissect them. My goal isn't so much to, I don't know, to me, to me, I sort of freeze up at the word educate because it sounds like I sort of have an agenda and I'm trying to put forth a certain view. Um, whereas with, with, you know, with issue-oriented stuff, I really am just trying to Sort of Enlighten is maybe a better word, or, or uh, just um, you know, I, I think raise consciousness. I, you you did that for me. I'm I'm kind of your stereotypical have my you know head in a a, a pile of comic books fan and rotting and, paper. Yeah, you know, I, I I I work and I read comics and and I try and stay as aware of the of the wor- of the world that as I can. That sounds so fucking sad. <laughs> sad you know, Loser. I'm, I'm married, I have a life, but you know, I was I was not 
as aware of what's going on in in Darfu as as I should be as a conscious as a conscious citizen and and your comic actually educated me a lot about what is going on there and uh, it was uh, it, it's very sad but uh, you know that that a comic could to, could educate me to that you know spoke a lot so because he's really really dense yeah because I'm very dense <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Sort of along those lines, I, I, I just—I I hate to be the one to tell you this, but like we've been in Iraq for a while. <laughs> yeah. Are you aware of 9/11? Is that going to be your flash story? Is <laughs> uh, no, um, no, flash is like very, very non-political. Um, so so it, with, with Squadron, with Hyperion and Nighthawk, um, the, the history of, of the Squadron Supreme in comics, and especially the way JMS has been approaching it. Um, it makes those characters particularly perfect for doing a a real world or a real issue type of story. Um, you know, it just wouldn't work on the, in the Flash. You know, the, the Flash is a different. You know, it, it, that character and what feels right for that the type of story to tell in that type of book. It's just you know, it's just different. Well, you know, th- those characters cosmic are cosmic treadmill. <laughs> He's got a cosmic treadmill. You know, you can solve any problem with that. <laughs> those uh, Hyperion and, and Nighthawk are, are probably pretty interesting characters to write because they're based on Superman and Batman. But whenever you're writing them, do you approach them as Superman and Batman or as Hyperion and Nighthawk? I approach them as Hyperion and Nighthawk because to me, the yes. In terms of the costume and the powers, the trappings of the characters are um, are uh, based on Superman and Batman. But the truth is, I'm actually not even writing Hyperion and Nighthawk. I'm writing Mark Milton and Kyle Richmond. Okay, sure. Um, you know, to me, it's you know, it's the guy in the costume that is the most compelling to write, and you know. Even though you'd say, yeah, Hyperion is very similar to Superman and uh, Nighthawk is very similar to Batman, and I would agree with you, I don't think anybody would think that Mark Milton was similar to Superman or that Kyle Richman was similar to Batman. No, they're 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 kind of like you know, alternate reality, like the, you know what the the CSA, the the crime syndicate, almost, and and kind of a what if. <laughs> and they're really very very different, and um, like. So to me, that's sort of that's the way I, I've been approaching it. You know, it, it would be it, it would be fun to sort of try to do that whole Dark Horror storyline with Superman and Batman. Um, well, you know, one of the things that uh, that I sort of noticed about a lot of the stuff that you've done so far in comics is almost like you approach some of these stories as a way to solve a problem, and I mean that in like. You know, you jump into Wolverine, and it's a Civil War crossover. It's a huge character, a huge event, and you have to figure out some way to to tell a compelling story while at the same time serve, you know, Civil War. And you seem to really be able to figure that out. You you were able to solve that equation in an in a, a interesting way, and something that I don't think a lot of writers maybe would have come you know come to. I see you know the same thing with you know like the Blade character and what you've done with that with you know the crossover with Wolverine, which could have been. Um, really bad. Yeah, it could have been <laughs> really bad. And it was, and, and it was my, probably my favorite Wolverine crossover 
that I've ever read because of the oh, way you, you. you told that story. Do you sort of, I mean, is it accurate to say that you sort of approach storytelling as, as solving a problem or solving a situation? Uh, well, 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 two things. First of all, thanks a lot, very very sincerely, for the kind words. I mean, I really, really, I'm incredibly flattered, and I really appreciate it. Well, um, you're welcome. And, and yeah, the you know, you guys are actually, it's an incredibly astute question, because you're 100% right. I do approach things um, from a, a problem-to-solve or a question-to-answer kind of perspective, because it's, it's funny, I, I, I'm not fully uh, conscious of why I do things that way, but yes, I mean, when I, I read the first issue of Civil War, you know, the, the script for it, um, you know, Marvel sent that to me when I agreed to, to do the Wolverine, you know, when I said yes to the gig, and my, my first reaction was, oh my god, this is amazing, but my second reaction was, well, who's going to go after Nitro? Um, and in asking my, myself that question, uh, I, I realized I had the makings of a story. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm definitely, uh, I'm, I, I definitely generate a lot of story ideas simply by, by either identifying a problem or, or asking myself a question um, and trying to figure out the answer to it. Um, I think that's one of the things that's nice about working in comics is Comics have such a deep history. Uh, you know, each character, for the most part, has really deep histories. So there are a lot of uh, those questions that you can try to answer, and that creates a story for you. I think we, we've had most of our questions, but we do have some questions from our listeners. Um, be ready to, to field a few of those. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this is uh, this one comes from L. Dave, uh, our buddy from uh, the the near suburbs of Chicago. He says, "Hey, Mark, how in the world do you go from writing characters like Wolverine to Nighthawk and Blade to Bart Allen?" Um, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I'm almost reminded of, of uh, I work with Greg Berlanti on this pilot and the TV show Brothers and Sisters and. Um, I, I was working on an issue of Superman and Batman, you know, one day, and he's like, how do you go from writing dialogue for Sally Field to writing for Superman? Um, so that's a question from L. Dave almost, you know, sort of reminds me of that little comment. You know, I, I, I guess the honest answer is I don't really know, but the one thing I can tell you is that I think of all the characters I've written thus far, perhaps Mark is the closest to my own personal voice. Okay. Uh, and so, in many ways, the challenge hasn't been so much to go from Wolverine to Bart as it is to simply go from myself to Wolverine. Uh, the next question is from Daryl, who says, uh, I enjoyed your Civil uh, Civil War Wolverine run, and I wanted to know what to look forward to most on your Flash book. Ooh, I want to come up with a really, like, teasing answer. Um, look forward to The cover with all the rogues on it made me have an almost... Uh, embarrassing Man, nerdgasm about it. <laughs> you, you have no idea how much Tom has been controlling himself through this entire interview. Yeah, I'll, I'll, then I'll, I'll let me put that. Yeah, that inspires me to give the following answer. My goal here with, with my first arc is to write a flash story that will be collected in a trade paperback that people will read for years and years to come. Like, that's the bar I've set for myself. Nice. All right. That's a good answer. <laughs> you did well. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to go far, You're young man. You're going to go far. You should write comics. 
<laughs> we we like to help out if there's an isn't an immediate answer. We like to throw something out there. This one is from uh, Chris Chavez, and he said, "Hi, Mark. Loved your work on Wolverine, and I'm really looking forward to your run on Flash." Does the perception of a character, in this case, the largely negative feelings towards the initial Flash run, affect how you approach building... Well, we kind of already covered that. Yeah. Uh, how you approach building your mythos of the same character. Um, you know, we, we already kind of went over that. Let's skip to the next part of his question was, uh, what type of working relationship do you prefer to have with the illustrators of your books? Do you prefer... To <laughs> a or B. Do you prefer to take the lead or to work more collaboratively with the artists? Um, I always prefer collaboration. Um, I, you know, tell you, I've been very lucky with my with my choice of artists. Not that it's ever been my choice, but the artists that I've gotten, like like we said earlier. But I haven't always been that lucky to know who my artist is at the start of a project. Um, you know, with Wolverine, I knew it would be Humberto. Um, you know, when I started. Uh, writing Hyperion and Nighthawk, I didn't know it was going to be Paul. Um, so sometimes I know who the artist is, but a lot of times I feel like I haven't known, at, at least as I'm writing the first issue. So um, my my preference is to be totally collaborative. I just haven't always had the, the good fortune to be able to do that, at least very start. Well, how, how would you go about telling someone like Howard Shaken, you know, you know Howard, I, I really don't like this panel. Can we rework that? Um... You know, it's funny. I, well, first of all, Howard's never drawn a panel I haven't liked. Um, <laughs> in a couple of cases, you know, I, I'll say, hey, you know, this panel isn't quite what I I'd envisioned, and here's why I, you know, here's what I was thinking, and we just talk it out, you know? Um, the good, you know, the, the great thing about working with someone like Howard is, He's been doing this for so long. He understands comics and, and comic storytelling on a level that is so much more nuanced and expert than my understanding. Um, you know, it's, it's very hard to, uh, you know, to, to argue with, uh, you know, with someone who's got that kind of experience. Uh, the next question. Uh Next question is from uh, David Price, and I'm going to skip to the part that I'm most interested in. <laughs> uh, you had mentioned comic book resources. You started reading... Uh, the Flash, sort of with the Barry, the trial of Barry Allen, and he would like to know that you knowing the law, would you have done anything different in his defense? Did you, <laughs> did you agree with the acquittal? And I would like to mention that they don't teach you in law school how to handle what happens when your client gets a facelift from intelligent gorillas. <laughs> so don't ex- don't expect an answer from that. <laughs> Very good question. Uh, you know, I will say that. How about how about can I answer it with a correction of of the of the question? Yes. I actually had started uh, reading it before the trial of Barry Allen. Um, you know, the first few issues in, I, I, uh, you know, I think I was reading it regularly, like you know, month to month to month, starting with the trial. Um, but uh, no, I, I can't really speak to the whole uh, defense of. It was a kangaroo. So he was guilty. He was guilty. Well, it's a kangaroo court. I mean, he didn't stand a chance. (laughs) That damn abracadabra. (coughs) We have a question from Lee Webb, who is from Australia. And uh, we're we're asking this very specifically because he has an Australia-based question. Um, Captain Boomerang is pretty much the longest-running Australian character in comics. 
Since identity crisis, this has changed to an illegitimate American kid. <laughs> is there a Smurfs chance in hell that a Captain Boomerang character could be an Australian, or at least have another decent Australian introduced in the DC universe? And we are huge in Australia. Yes, Austra- <laughs> Australia, <Yeah>. they <laughs> scream for you to give them someone Your to answer for. could uh, in, uh, could affect your creator-owned work as well. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep that in mind. I got... I got two words for you. Admiral Boomerang. <laughs> I will accept that as an answer. Finally, a promotion. You, you heard it here first, Lee Webb. <laughs> Admiral Boomerang. Admiral Boomerang. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I think uh, uh, Talkback and, and, uh, and Chip had some questions, but I think that we had already covered them. Uh, guys, do you have anything uh, left for, uh, for no. Mark? Well, Mark, you, you're you know working on Wolverine, <laughs> working on The Flash, Hyperion versus Nighthawk, Blade... But uh, you're also working on a creator, original-owned creator series coming out of Oni uh, called Resurrection. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> Resurrection is, I don't, I'm not what I consider to be a high-concept writer. Um, I, my ideas are not the type of ideas that are, are easily, uh, you know, synopsized in one sentence. Log, log line. Um, so I don't ever come up with these big ideas. Resurrection is one of the very few big ideas that I've ever had. And it's, you know, it's simple. It, you know, we've seen movies like The Day of the Earth Stood Still or War of the Worlds or Independence Day or, you know, pick up alien invasion movie. And I've always wondered, okay, you know, that's all well and good and we get rid of the aliens, but now what? And the whole uh, logline, the whole premise of resurrection comes down to now what? Uh, it picks up, it, you know, the first issue is actually entitled The Day After, and it, it picks up the day after the aliens have left the planet, they've been, they've been turned back, and now what? And the idea uh, is to sort of explore it in as realistic and dramatic and compelling a way um, while at the same time teasing, how the heck did we drive the aliens off the planet anyway? Um, and that, that'll make up part of the mythology of the show, of the, sorry, of the, uh, of the series. Um, you know, we'll wonder, you know, we'll slowly find out, peel back the onion on how exactly we pulled this off. So it's really almost sort of two, two stories in one. You get the, the day after, the aftermath of the alien invasion, but you also get the alien invasion too. We're just going to tell it in a you know an unexpected way. And is that is that going to be a, a, a graphic novel or is that going to be an ongoing series or how is that coming out? It's going to be an ongoing series. Um, we have an artist uh, who's actually already started. Um, I'm not at liberty to say his name yet, um, but it's going to be ongoing. And honestly, the the burden is on me to bank enough script to solicit it. Um, but it is coming, and uh, it's, I, I'm really proud of it. I'm, I'm, like I said, I don't have too many of these high concept kind of ideas, um, but uh, this is one of them. It's one I've had for a long, long time, and it's very near and dear to my heart. And I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, to seeing that whole book come to life. It's nice cool. that you don't have an iconic character or a. Uh um, yeah, a, a series that, you know, well, only, to only on. humanity, Chris. The oh. history of man. <laughs> it, it, I mean, for one thing, it's also, it's not a superhero book. Sure. Um, 
so it's, it's different in that regard too. What? Um, yeah, it's very, very different from the comic book work I've done thus far in, in just about every respect. Are, are, you, are you and your brother Eric, are you big hockey fans since he wrote uh, Miracle? Uh, he's a huge hockey fan, okay. and thank you for, for noticing that he wrote Miracle. Uh, yeah, he's a totally huge hockey fan. Um, I'm not so much. <laughs> he, he's, he's just the biggest hockey fan. He knows so much about that sport. Oh, it was a great movie. He wrote a great screenplay. Yeah, no kidding. Thank you. I think so, too. I think it really rocks. Uh, one other question I did have for you. I, I had read something about um, a, a pilot that you had written or co-written. Oh, Eli that's coming, Eli Stone. Uh, that's coming out soon, or is it in development? Uh, we are. We start filming on Tuesday, actually. Oh wow! Congratulations. Um, thank you. It's, we're really excited. We uh, we got the pickup. Uh, you know, just maybe I should quickly explain sort of how how these things work. Um, you pitch a you pitch a show. If they like the pitch, they buy the script. If they like the script, they produce the pilot. If they like the pilot, they put it on the air. Um, we wrote this uh, this script on spec, meaning we didn't pitch it. We just wrote it. Uh, so we skipped that first step, and we turned it in at the end of July. Um, I was actually at Comic-Con uh, when the script went over to the network, um, and uh, it got picked up in August. We've actually been in pre-production since August, so it's really kind of a thrill to finally be filming it uh, starting on Tuesday. Nice. Well, tell us a little bit about it. What uh, What's the concept behind it? Uh, it's, it's about a lawyer um, who may or may not be a modern-day prophet. Uh, and the reason I say he may or may not be is he, uh, is, he has these prophetic visions, um, but... He also finds out in, in the pilot that he has a brain aneurysm. So it really, it's really left to the audience to determine if he's a prophet or he's just suffering from this, this condition. And it's, it's a real uh, new take on the concept of a legal drama. Um, it, it's got equal parts, uh, you know, character show and equal parts legal procedural. Um, with this sort of spiritual question at the center of it, and that's uh, that's going to be on ABC. Uh, do you know as far as like when that will be out, or when you know when we'll be able to watch it? Uh, well, um, God willing, you'll see it in the fall. Um, like I said, you know, you, you were one of you know I think thirteen pilots that ABC has ordered. Um, they'll pick up pilots in May. Uh, so you know, I mean, again, just in by way of background. Every year, um, you know, uh, I pick a number, you know, 50 pilots are made by all the networks. And you maybe only, you know, 10, 15 of those 50 actually uh, make it to air. So, you know, I, I always joke that, you know, Eli will either be seen by millions of people or as many people as I can fit in my living room. <laughs> I was wondering... A lot of times when we talk to comic book writers, they're not—they don't pay attention that much to other comic books. Do you pay attention to other TV shows? Do you watch a lot of TV, uh, or do you kind of, you know, keep your head in the in the sand on that? Oh no, I, I I watch as much TV as I can, given my workload and and the fact that I'm married with a two-year-old. Um, so I love television, and I watch, you know, literally as much of it as I can. 
there's a lot of shows that I I really enjoy, and you know, um, my TiVo is filled up. <laughs> do, you happen to, are you, do you happen to be watching Studio 60? And if so, what are your feelings on it, considering it's sort of a show about TV writers? I love Studio 60. I mean, I, I have to confess straight up, um, I just worship at the altar of Aaron Sorkin and his writing. Um, so anything he writes, I'm going to watch religiously. Um, and, uh, yeah, I never miss Studio 60. Yeah, I love that show, too, and uh, I hope it sticks around for... For a while, I know that it's had some issues, but uh, I don't know. But, uh, but so I think it's a TV fantastic. Cast. <laughs> so your 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 husband, father, uh, comic book writer, TV writer. I, I guess the probably how we should wrap up is how how do you keep it all balanced? Because you've got a lot on your plate. Yeah, I have no. Uh, I suspect if you were to call up any one of my editors today, they would say he's not doing a very good job of it. <laughs> uh, that's the trepidation. That's the trepidation speaking. <laughs> it really is. It's also it's the fact that this has been a particularly crazy week leading up to production of the pilot. But, um, you know, I have a really wonderful understanding wife. Um, and I, you know, I, I have to say this is where the legal background, where you're juggling, you know, five, ten cases at a time, um, really comes into play because I just I, I learned under very heavy fire how to manage my time. I'm an accountant, um, so I understand. <laughs> yeah, Tom, Tom is an accountant during tax season right now, so he's right with you. Exactly. That's that's you know that's the best example actually. Accountant during tax season. Well, one one of the one of the big things about comic books and the comic book industry is convention season, and I would assume that with your other career that's very demanding and your family life um what is your convention schedule going to look like for the next year um that's a good question uh well i'm definitely going to go to wizard world because it's 20 minutes from my house okay um and i'm planning on going to san diego comic-con mm -hmm. um and did my wife and my daughter come down with me uh though my wife has been telling me I'll stay in a nice hotel in San Diego, and I'll I'll stay by the pool. But there's no way I'm going to Comic Con again this year. Uh, I, I, we went last year, and we were actually my wife was pushing our daughter in the stroller, and because it's Comic Con, and you know the tide of people can literally sweep you away, and I got separated from them. I fought my way back to the throng of people, and I looked at my wife, and the expression on her face said it all to me, and I said to her. You're not coming back with me, are you? <laughs> well, well, was um, that was that tidal wave of tidal wave of people uh, stormtroopers? Uh, there were some stormtroopers. I think they were Elvis stormtroopers. <laughs> oh, nice, <laughs> the best kind. Well, you know, it, it, well, Chicago is very nice in uh, in August. If you're interested in coming to uh, to our convention here, we'd love to have you. <laughs> I would love to. I mean, I love conventions, and I, I would go to all of them if I possibly could. Sure. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll, if I can make it to Chicago, I would love to come. Well, Mark, we want to thank you so much. Are, are you still stranded in traffic? No, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting outside my house as we speak. Oh. Um, what a great way to, to spend the commute. Um, this was a lot of fun for me, guys. I, I'm really, I'm really, really flattered, and, and I really enjoyed myself. Well, we're honored to have you, and, uh, and I think I speak for uh, Tom and Sal. 
Uh, anytime you would like to be back on, just drop us a line. It was a pleasure talking with you. And, and, and thanks uh, so much for taking time, especially during this week where you're, you're leading up to filming uh, your show. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're extremely busy, so we really appreciate you taking the time with us. Oh, totally my pleasure. This really was a lot of fun, seriously. Okay. Well, we, we, we love the work, and, and Tom is uh, ready for yeah. the flash. He's got his fingers I crossed. I can't wait to uh, <laughs> make the flash the pick, uh, my top of the stack for the week. And I'm looking forward to it, so it'll be fun. In, in, in all honesty, when it was announced that you were taking over the flash, it was, I think, around December, and, and Chris, or I mean, Tom uh, considered it an early Christmas gift for him. So, Yeah, because I enjoyed your Wolverine so much. I was like, oh, wow. Yes, I, was I like, like oh, wow, I approved. You're in the flash. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's Tom great. approved right away. <laughs> You know, I, I tell you, you know, uh, Tom Brevoort, one of my Marvel editors, is a huge, huge, huge Flash fan. And I just feel like, well, this is great. If I blow this, I not only blow the Flash gig, but probably future Marvel work as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You have that weird dichotomy right there. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it was great. Yeah. You know, that brought up one other question, just a, kind of a silly one. <laughs> We're never going to win it. Sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, getting any dirty looks when you, you know, hang over at the Marvel booth, and uh, and, and now that you're working for DC, they they, they giving you a hard time at all about that? They give me a hard time. Uh, a little bit. A little bit, but not, uh, it's all good nature. It really is. Um, you know, they, they joke about it. Sure. They, there's a lot of humor. Um, but, uh, you know, it's all, it's all very, very good natured. Hey, they haven't signed me to an exclusive, so they could hardly blame me for doing work on the other side of the <laughs> That's right. Hear that, Marvel? <laughs> all right. Uh, well, Mark, you Let have... Let the flash for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, you have a, a wonderful night, right. and thank you again so much. Uh, my pleasure. Have a really great weekend, guys. All right, you too. We'll thank you, Mark. Take care. <laughs> Bye. All right, And we would certainly like to thank Mr. Guggenheim for spending some yeah. time with us today. His Flash sounds interesting. His creator-owned stuff from Oni also sounds incredibly interesting. His TV pilot, I hope that makes it to yeah. air, because I'd be uh, really interested to see that and go, I know that guy! Well, yeah, I, I talked to that guy once. I think well, he, he was I in think, his car. Yeah. <laughs> I think he is really one of the uh, yeah. the up-and-coming names yeah. in comics. So cool. It's going to be interesting to see uh, see where he goes in the next couple as, of years. As far as like a prototype you know, to follow for a guy coming from a different medium to write comics. I don't know that, that many people have done it better than he has to just jump in and really get it and and mm-hmm. do a good job. He's of, a big of, fan. Uh, no, I, th- yeah. I, think, I think it's grow up as a huge comic book fan, go to law school, but be a writer and then move to L.A., write for TV for seven years, then write comics. Right? That, that old cliche. That works. Yeah. Hey. It always happens. It, it, but it works. Don't fix it if it ain't broke. That's what I say. Are you other lawyers out there? I, like any fucking lawyers listening met, to this show. Homeless people listening oh, to this and, show. Oh, and, and if, and if, and if uh, Ed Brubaker <laughs> gets run over by a bus, we know who did it. We know who did it. I almost had to stop the interview at that point, you know. <laughs> I, I can't have him, you know, harshing on my my broop. On your broop, come on, man. He likes it so much that the only way he could end is by him. I want to, you know what? I, we didn't ask him about, but I wanted to ask him about that uh, that TV show, Blind Justice. And if you thought it was just a daredevil ripoff like everyone else, <laughs> 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 boo! All right, guys, um, we are currently uh, in 
well, we're, I guess we're starting the third month of our Year of Alan Moore. Uh, if you're not familiar with that yet, uh, you should go check that out at our forum. Um, I am woefully underread yeah. in my Alan Moore, and uh, it was actually Ryan Stegman. Um, yeah. Who, um, I, I have I, a I have a really good contest mm-hmm. idea for the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Do I'm going to save that. Yeah. Great. I'm well, surprising both of them with this. Wow. We, we, we are we are doing our, our year of Alan Moore. Uh, we started a little early. We did uh, December was uh, Swamp Thing. We started, started a month two early. years ago. It's a Baker's year. Yes, it's the, it is the, it's the Baker's year of Alan Moore. Uh, Swamp Thing was in December. Watchmen and the Complete Ballad of Halo Jones in January. February. This is currently uh, V for Vendetta and Skiz. And in March, get ready uh, to read the tome that is from. I've Hell. already started. Get up in my face, people on the forum. I'm going to start posting about. We from do. Hell. We, you know, we do need to get more active uh, posting about uh, about the Alan Moore stuff. I've been I've been bad about it. Uh, but April is going to see a small killing and Wildcats. For the full schedule, you can go to our forum. Uh, this is the last episode before we announce our winner. our winner, winner for the Who Watches yeah. the Tom contest um so i i bought two copies of watchmen uh on accident i was drunk i watched football i got excited but Favre played well <laughs> that'll happen i get home and i'm like i order i'm like i'm gonna order some hardcover books <laughs> like i will when i'm excited so i did and i got two of them i'm giving one away and by the time you listen to this yeah you can still send it and i guess i'll be checking my email uh what it is is uh, you just need to take a theme from Watchmen, compare it to a book currently. Uh, just give me a little paragraph, just a little bit of effort. I don't demand like a huge tome, but a little bit of thought would be nice. Actually, this is the last day. It comes out. This comes out yeah. on uh, Thurs- two, on Thursday, yeah. the twenty twenty first. I don't know. So. 22nd. Oh, no. They're too late. I told there was no man. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> uh, the people will, will announce it uh, the following yeah. week who won, and you're going to get a, a Absolute Watchman. You're also going to get a great Rorschach yeah. sketch from Chris, Chris Somney, which was gorgeous. The man so. who can't stop drawing. Yeah, he, he can't. All right, And guys. we are all thankful of it. <laughs> um, want to uh, remind people to help us spread the Around Comics love. A few different ways that you can do that. You can help us out uh, with our listener LCS challenge. Just go to the website, download our flyer, and ask your local comic shop owner or manager if they will be so kind as to display that in their shop. If they do, we will mention both you and the shop on the show and provide a link to the store on our site. You can also give us a dig at dig.com. You can become our virtual friend at comicspace.com slash around comics. <laughs> might ask for a virtual loan of money. <laughs> <laughs> send, send that virtual money. Uh, you can also uh, do my favorite, which is uh, the leave us a review at the iTunes Music Store. Be as cool as Doom. 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 Doom, Andy Park, Steve Bryant, Mike Norton, and others have been so kind as to do that. You know Sonny LaRue. Sonny LaRue. <laughs> Bert oh, yeah, Wheeler. Bert Wheeler, that's right. Hey, and also, speaking of Mike Norton, I want to say we were uh, last week we were on the Crankcast. Mike and uh, and his friend Chris Crank. We, we talked podcast. about a lot of bullshit. Yeah, we talked a lot about a lot. Of, if you're not sick about hearing from us already you might want to go check that out because it was really funny it it didn't deal with comics all that much it was a lot of other stuff talking about st louis style pizza (laughs) hey don't knock it (laughs) don't knock it till you try it but go check out the crankcast it's at crankcast wisconsin crankcast.com they make provel in wisconsin specifically for st louis yes they do and while you're going around looking at websites you might well stop by ours because check out all the great things that aroundcomics.com has to offer it's your source for the best in comic book news, reviews, and opinions. While you're there, please take a minute to fill out our listener survey. It lets us know who we're oh, talking to. Oh, you know what? To. Don't read that anymore because the survey's down. 
Yeah, <laughs> did we ever get out. anything from the survey? Did people ever? Yeah, 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 yeah. We did have a bunch of people actually fill it out, and and it was uh, almost almost ninety nine percent positive. Oh well, stuff, fuck so you. It was really good stuff. So <laughs> fuck who? What are you talking Everyone. about? Everyone, because they were positive. the one the one percent. That was my that, no, that was my immediate reaction. It's all positive. It's all fuck it's all you. Positive. But I took it down because uh, we don't. Eh, you know what? Don't read it. It's boring. It was boring. <laughs> we didn't want to tell you before, but you shouldn't have done it before. It's boring. <laughs> we are uh, proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. Find more great podcasts at comicspodcast.com. And when you get bored of all the other ones, come and check out our upcoming episodes. Just so everyone is aware, we post next week's topic on Tuesdays or Wednesdays when Tom reminds Chris. Sorry. At, <laughs> at our farm at aroundcomics.com. Coming in next week, we get ready for a wrap-up of the New York Comic Con. Um, there's going to be great stories. We're going to cry. We're going to laugh. <laughs> and thanks again we're to Borders. Borders is your source for the best original graphic novels, manga, deluxe hardcovers, and trade paperback collections. Not only will you find exactly what you are looking for, you'll discover unexpected new authors and series. While you're at Borders, don't forget to check out their huge selection of music, movies, magazines, and more. Borders isn't just a bookstore. It has everything you need for your comics, culture, lifestyle. Google Borders for a valuable coupon, and always remember to check Borders first. Find a store near you. Go to www.borderstores.com. Every time you read that, Tom starts to crack up because I know he's thinking of the Gorders Search Dragon. Gorders. <laughs> I, I found a Gorders. I offer you this to you, Gorders. There's a site out there called GordersSupply.com. It's a funeral up? funeral home supplies shop. <laughs> Which You're I, getting so many hits right now <laughs> from Australia. <laughs> Only from Australia. <laughs> yeah. I Only would from like, Australia. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. Uh, big thanks to Mark Guggenheim who was a wonderful guest uh, uh, for taking the time out of his very, very busy schedule. And I believe he said he was putting me in a part in his new show. Didn't he say that? No, he oh, didn't I'm editing it, it in so it sounds like he said it. Okay. Uh, thanks to everyone Ooh. at the forum for providing some really great questions. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Mark at Dart Tower for hosting us as always. Uh, Sal, Tom? Yes. Another? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hello? Another one in the books. Good job, boys. Uh, Contractual obligation. Great. Thank you. Oh, now you shut up. Now no, you're. No, what no, do you I, want me to say? I. Oh, great job, Chris. You were fantastic. Fishing for comedy. This trip to New York is gonna suck. I hate you guys. All right, everyone it's have a fantastic like, week. It's gonna be like a couple on vacation. You start fighting at the end, but it's gonna be three ways. Everyone, we're all gonna hate each other. <laughs> I hate you. I hate you, man. Fucking Tom. We'll be back again uh, after we get back from New York. If we don't kill each other with another new episode. In the meantime, we'll be everywhere in uh, and around. around. It's free. You can wait a couple days. <laughs> If you would like to suggest a topic, send us your comments, or are interested in becoming a panel member, email us at info at aroundcomics.com or visit the contact us section of our website. Music for the show provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Views expressed in the interviews or by guests of the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them and do not reflect the opinions of Around Comics. Thank you for listening today, and remember to join us next time when the panel will change, but our mission will stay the same, bringing you the very best news, reviews, and opinions in and around comics. 
Around Comics is a Pipe Dream production. Copyright 2007. All rights reserved. Yeah.